In March, a lesbian couple in their early 20s approached the court seeking protection from police harassment and constant questioning. The couple had fled from their respective homes and found refuge in Chennai, seeking the help of certain NGOs and activists. The parents, who were opposed to the women's relationship, filed missing persons complaints and subsequently two first information reports or FIRs were registered and that's when the police began its investigation and interrogated the women at their residence in this episode we'll speak to the counselor whom the judge approached her name is vidya dinakaran and she's based in chennai not only did she hold a session with the judge she also held sessions with the petitioners and their parents We'll also speak to a Delhi-based lawyer, Mihir Samson, who has represented other runaway couples, to understand the scope of the problem and how the court is often the only recourse that many couples have when the law itself gets weaponized against them. We also spoke to one such couple, but given the threat that they were under, we will not be using that audio recording. I will however narrate their story and also the story which is so similar to other young women who have faced similar threats over the decades and we'll talk a little bit about that too So just before we move into this how did this high court judgment come up uh and you know how did this whole thing about you know talking to a judge and educating a judge what what was that like can you just start by telling us a little bit about um what is your approach what is your understanding and your approach to uh, non normative non heterosexual sexualities non normative gender identities absolutely um so one thing is when i finished my uh, formal education yes there were a lot of theories there were some hands on experience which we were provided with but uh, when i stepped out i realized that i was not equipped to deal with uh, 
anything beyond what is considered normal mm-hmm. uh, you know it could be someone with uh, neurodivergency it could be someone who fall into the minority group category and all of that so what helped me here was a queer affirmative counseling program Mm. that was organized by this mariwala health initiative along with this uh, mumbai mm. so that was a certification course and only after stepping into that course i sort of realized the notions that i was sitting with all these years which seemed very very normal for me to carry mm. with me so that was a period of unlearning for myself right so i realized that i needed to be sensitive sensitized if i have to work with the queer community because of course like uh, even how the judge has mentioned in this particular case i came with my own preconceived notions because i realized going up uh, there were there was absolutely no space to have such conversations around gender or sexuality at all and none of our education systems or the curriculum covers any bit of this so it was pretty new for me that i was thinking that all the notions that i carried were actually very very normal so i went through the sensitization process myself and in fact i am still unlearning this a lot for me to learn in this process itself but as therapists like you said it's very important to realize the power that we hold in a therapeutic environment um and it's it's very easy to uh, sort of slip in you know fall back on the dsm or the diagnostic statistical manual and say you know this is not okay this is not right there is something absolutely wrong with you mm-hmm. and it took years and years of advocacy and you know unlearning of individuals to sort of uh, rework the dsm itself mm-hmm. but there are still therapists there are still mental health practitioners who um, still identify with the old notions and sort of go forward in providing cures mm. considering that this is a defect or a disorder so when you were called in to actually provide what this judge justice venkatesh calls psychoeducation right mm-hmm. in this out of box right. perspective so what was it that you went in thinking and expecting out of this exercise one because i haven't heard of such thing happening any time earlier so this yeah. is the first time something like this happened yeah. so to be quite frank i wasn't expecting the openness with which the judge sat there yeah. and you know he was very verbal about the fact that he's not sitting there as a high court judge that he is a person who of course he was aware of his power the systemic power which he held yeah. but um he said i'm a simpleton here i do have all you know uh false notions about the entire thing and i would like to work with them so that openness sort of gave me the space also to explore with yeah. him yeah if they if i sensed some sort of rigidity then yeah. it would have been uh, a session filled with a lot of struggle in terms yeah. of uh, you know working through the falsified notions and all of that but right. the ease was provided by the judge yeah back so that is something that uh, stood yeah. out throughout the session yeah and uh, also i i had certain things in mind already like mm-hmm. how this is not just about queer community there are a lot of intersections involved in this itself like for example the caste that both the women belong to mm-hmm. what power that gave them and is the judge aware of that 
of what role that plays in this case mm-hmm. and what is the role of religion and science in this so i had some of these already uh, prepared in my mind we started by understanding terms in fact and then we went into the narratives of individuals mm-hmm. and then onto the unique stressors faced by people belonging to the minority group so even though i had sort of uh, you know thought of certain pointers it didn't go accordingly it was very sure. organic in the sense and we were able to cover all that we wanted to cover in session sure. so some of the things in fact that his judgment uh, because his judgment actually um, uh, presents the report that you submitted to the court based on the right. interaction that you had with him um, right. and uh, you know and in fact uh, in your report you actually quote him saying that uh, i am the society with all the misconceptions present and now i'm working through it and engaging in the process of unlearning so it is me who needs to convey this understanding to the rest of society that stands where i once stood so to your point that he was aware of the power that he has he was aware of what he doesn't know and he was aware that he needs to therefore get to know this because this is important to know in order to bring about change right exactly. Now, exactly. right so so okay so through the course of this conversation there were some points that clearly um came up that i think were very essential for instance uh, you did raise the issue of the stigma that uh, couples face from mm-hmm. or even queer persons face from their own families the kind of violence yes. that they could be subjected to uh, yeah. you did talk about uh, institutional um, violence as well and how well-being of people in fact depends so much on just institutional recognition which very often is not provided to them in the way that it may be provided to more quote unquote normative right the uh, uh, sexualities and genders um you interestingly also talk about this binary notion of gender normativity now you know these are things that we hear in gender theory 101 right what was it like sitting and actually talking to a judge and breaking down what are actually fairly complex complex concepts like the binary yeah. of gender and yeah. you to really yeah. sort of bring it down to understandable um concepts how to, how was that for you how did you manage that so one thing that i did employ in the session was using a technique of storytelling so we started by imagining a child being born so what is the first thing that happens so they look at the genitals of the child and assign a sex to the child so and from there on it took a very narrative uh, style where we realized okay what if you didn't know the gender of the child what if you didn't like know the sex of the child what if it was just covered or wrapped around in some cloth and you had to raise the child on your own mm. how will you do this this is something that i learned from the qacp program which i thought would be very interesting to use in the session mm. um so this sort of simplified things for us because more than me telling him that sex is not equal to gender and gender is not equal to sexuality when he started questioning how he will bring up a child whose sex is not known to anybody a lot of things came from him so he started questioning so uh, what dress will i provide this child with what toys will i provide for what kind of education will i send this child to which school will i send a coed or how do i figure that out so all those sort of eased the process up and finally by the end of it we summarized and brought it down to saying that you know sex is assigned but even 
that is a very binary assignment which is restrictive of several other categories like one for example i have spoken about the intersex category mm-hmm. when you step into things like that and then we spoke of uh, even the laws associated uh, with reassignment surgeries mm-hmm. uh, so when someone is born uh, identified as an intersex person usually what happens is the parent sort of decides which gender or which sex they want mm-hmm. and ask the doctor to do the reassignment surgery accordingly and how it was very unethical so and then we went into the integrities and the details of what is the difference between gender gender expression and gender identity since the basic premise was understood and he sort of got the point of the whole thing through the narration the process became very easy uh, for me now while the judge may have made it easy by owning his unfamiliarity with the subject and addressing it head on Ms Dinakaran also had to speak to the parents of the petitioners as it was mandated by the court and that was not easy as the judgment noted even though the counseling of the parents did not end up with the desired result this court has the satisfaction of making all efforts to assuage their feelings and to ensure that they were not left in the lurch in this journey i was talking to the women themselves i was talking to uh, both the families and i was talking to the judge and everybody somewhere they had similarities and somewhere everybody differed so it was uh, sort of challenging for me to cut from uh, every session and you know sort of say that is that is a different group that i'm working with this is a different group that i'm working with and i had to be aware of the intersectionality with each group because not all of them came from the same caste or the uh, same societal power that they hold so i had to be aware of different things when dealing with different uh, set of clients so that was one and um, some sensitive things that came up during the sessions which i had to be very mindful of uh, either when i'm typing out the report or when i'm talking to the other parties like for example the parents would have said something that was very very sensitive at that point um and when i talk to the girls i will have to be very mindful of i will still have to convey it to them one way or the other so how am i going to do it without hurting both the parties or without uh breaking confidentiality so all these were uh, sort of challenges that i had to navigate through um yeah but i think what really helped was the space that i had to do what i want with all the parties involved right that was given by the judge and i'm very grateful for that even his own session he left it to me and said you know it's your direction you you can lead it however you want to in fact i believe that even one of uh, one of the books that was also supplied to the judge and his team was maya sharma's loving women which of course was written way back in 2004 so of course there have been narratives i mean you know and there've been a lot of work that's been done um kaleri in the 90s late 90s had already come up with um, fact finding reports of course abva which had come out with less than gay in 1994 had come out with for people like us in 1998 which talked about a lesbian suicide pact and what happened because mm-hmm. of that so there have been narratives yeah. of of uh, same sex couples and the kind of violence that they face the kind of discrimination that they face but i think that every generation and every every 
uh, group, I think sort of needs its own, needs to be able to tell its own stories, right? And so we have, we can draw into what is there in the past, but at the same time, we also need to sort of create the stories for the present. Yes, these narrative exists, uh, some even in the form of films or stuff like that. Yeah. But there is a lot of erasure of such narratives, which keeps happening simultaneously. If, I mean, even though the narratives are present, no one is exposed to it. We are not exposed to such narratives when, you know, compared to other novels and things that we read in school. The lack of exposure to LGBTQIA lives has serious consequences for same-sex couples. It has been four years since Section 377 was decriminalized in the Navtej Singh Johar judgment. However, couples continue to approach courts in different states to seek protection from persecution on account of the bad faith investigations by the police and the misuse of law by their families. Now, while the Johar verdict gave adult couples in difficult family situations the courage to leave their houses, Lawyer Mihir Samson said several such young people continue to approach courts across the country when their own families take the help of the law and the police to pursue them. The Madras High Court judgment is significant in the way that the judge took it upon himself to dispel his own ignorance, Mihir said. It was also significant because of its directives. One in particular made Mihir very happy. I think the finding that if the police understand from an LGBTQIA person that they have left their homes of their own accord, they're with their partners of their own accord, they have to close the case immediately. And that's something which I think should make a big difference to many, many individuals because really it's become such a norm for uh, missing persons complaints, sometimes kidnapping FIRs to become the basis for police pressure and actually family families being able to force their um, children, quote-unquote, back into their households uh, against their own wishes. You've been representing couples uh, over the past uh, four years now, you were saying. Um, and uh, clearly, I mean... You know, like a lot of couples, I would imagine, have been coming to you, right? Like lesbian uh, couples, same-sex partners, uh, 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 trans persons along with their uh, female identifying partners have been coming to you, right? I would imagine, in, despite the, the Navde Johar verdict. Yeah, um, actually many people are getting in touch with us from, uh, for us, based in Delhi, from across northern states. We've had people from Uttarakhand, Rajasthan. Bihar, Madhya Pradesh, um, and often they have no information as to who might help them. So they're, they're Google, uh, Googling people who've kind of done cases before or helped or spoken about the rights of LGBT persons. So they may get in touch with some activists who may put them in touch with us or they may contact us directly. Uh, but yes, it's many, many couples who've uh, been in touch seeking legal support. Right, right. Are there any cases that you're dealing with right now where this judgment, this Madras High Court judgment would actually help? Is there something that you could actually take to the court and say, look, this judgment has been passed. This is going to affect this particular couple, right? In this particular way. 
So I definitely agree with you that this has been happening for many, many years. In fact, one of the first cases I worked on as an intern in my first year in the Lawyers Collective uh, in 2006, I think, was actually a, a lesbian couple who had run away. And uh, at that time, I think this, the dominant strategy was to file affidavits with the police station uh, concerned as a sort of preemptive attempt. but and then to approach the magistrate to record a statement based on what was happening with the police and whether the family had filed a complaint, etc. Um, and it was quite an experience going into Tisadari, uh, trying to evade the police, get the statement recorded. Um, it was just something that actually I think struck a chord with me individually and as a lawyer, it kind of uh, inspired me to get into this work. I am. I am. I must say that these kinds of cases are coming to us regularly, so we may have uh, multiple cases going on at the same time. And right now, we have a case uh, of two women who have left their homes uh, in Bihar. One of whom had been uh, subject to intense confinement. She had been locked up in her home for months, for five months, uh, to be exact. The woman in question. Let's call her AK is a 23-year-old student, a third-year student, who was pulled out of college by her family after she came out to her sister and spoke about her same-sex partner. AK was then kept locked up and subjected to sexual harassment by her cousin brothers. She was also threatened by her sister and her mother. Her partner was assaulted and her partner's family has also been threatened by AK's family. AK told me. Five months later, she was finally able to escape with her partner and they came to Delhi. They also sought the help of Mihir and his law partners. However, back home in Bihar, her family has accused her partner of kidnapping her. The partner's father and grandfather are also mentioned in the FIR. We're also working with them to try to figure out what the best way is to close the case. And the big sort of issue right now is, which we've been dealing with in many cases, is that often these uh, cases kind of span different state boundaries. And the police forces are different. They go to different magistrates, etc., depending on where the FIR is registered. And the police insist on taking the concerned person back to that uh, police station and their jurisdictional magistrate to record a statement under Section 164 here because it's a kidnapping case. And that act... Then to take the person back. It's a procedural thing. It's a procedural thing. But the act of taking the person back is actually such an act of violence because it's taking the person back to the place where they were intimidated, they were assaulted, they uh, were basically told that they could not live their life, their life as a queer person. It's some place that they've left. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that in the course of taking them back, there's a lot of sort of emotional manipulation that takes place from the police, which is basically like, uh, don't be a problem for your parents, uh, just think about this. If you say too much about your family, they will go to jail. Um, there's a lot of your mother or father has fallen ill because of you and it's just creating such a ruckus. Um, and also this no- the notion of the honor and prestige of the family within that society. Um, and then often when they're taken back to the police station, the family is called immediately. And then there's a lot of 
informal pressure. None of this is part of the law procedure because ideally you should record your statement before the police if it's just a, a missing person's complaint or before the magistrate if it's a kidnapping case and it should be closed. It should be pretty straightforward. Uh, but a lot happens in that whole process which actually then kind of can result in a person being forced to be taken back into their family situations and so we are trying to argue that basically wherever the person has chosen to reside after leaving they should be able to record their statement there and the case should be closed and I think the Madras High Court decision uh, to get back to what you asked me is very much on that and it really helps us argue that what is paramount is not jurisdiction and procedure and uh, where the statement is recorded, but it is really what is the will of the person. What have they chosen to do? They're an adult. They can take decisions about themselves. Yeah. And if they have decided to leave their family house and stay with their partner, that's all. That's it. The case is closed. So don't drag them back. Don't force them to be confronted with their families uh, immediately after leaving. And don't pressurize them into going back to the families. Simply record their statement wherever they're residing and close it. As things stand, AK has received the police protection that she sought from the Delhi High Court. She now resides in a shelter home for women in the capital city and she is hopeful that she will not have to return to Bihar to register her statement before the magistrate and that she could do so in Delhi itself. Now, her statement is necessary to close the case against her partner. And if she doesn't return to Bihar, then she wouldn't have to meet her family again. The, I mean, the allegation of the FIR is that this person is kidnapped, right? Her partner has kidnapped her. Yeah. So, the statement would be uh, that she's telling the magistrate that I have left of my own will. I was in these conditions, so on and so forth, I'm not kidnapped. So automatically then the case of kidnapping against their partner falls, right? So in, in that sense, it, uh, it would completely close the case. So that's sort of the idea of not forcing her to go back. Now, now coming to the question of how parents are dealt with, I think that's something that we have been grappling with both as lawyers and also our clients grappling with. Look, leaving the house is not an easy uh, thing for them because they have such mixed emotions. Yes, it is freedom, but it's also severing ties with your entire family. right? And often they may actually want to speak to them, uh, maybe on their own terms, maybe after things are a little bit better. It really depends situation to situation. So it's not something that I think there can be a blanket answer to that just keep the families out. Yeah. Uh, maybe some of our clients may not even like that. As Mihir pointed out, Several young queer persons often find themselves with no other option but to escape from their families. Some reach the court, others try and find networks of support, but live under the constant fear that the police would come knocking on their doors one day, or that they would be recognized and taken back to their families. The women that I spoke to were fearful not only of their own lives, but also because of the threats that were being made by the family members of one of them. These threats were directed at the woman, at her partner, and even at her partner's family. Now, a few years ago, I had interviewed another such young couple that had run away from their homes, from Punjab and Haryana. And I had met them at the Delhi metro station. And 
over there, they had actually wrapped their faces around with their scarves. Uh, and they refused to take off their scarves because they were worried that the police might identify them in the CCTV footage of the Delhi metro station. Now, procedurally, if a missing person's complaint or a kidnapping complaint has been made, it is the job of the police to investigate and find the person who has gone missing. However, oftentimes the police end up forcing these young women to break up with their partners and return to their families. And this is something that we not only see happening to same-sex couples, we see this happening to intercaste couples and interfaith couples. Very often, the police end up upholding the social pressure rather than the rights of the couple in question. And this brings me back to the Madras High Court interim order. Justice Venkatesh issued a slew of directions. One was meant for the police, that if their investigations led them to find that a person is an LGBTQIA individual uh, in an adult consenting relationship, the judge said that the police must immediately close down the complaint then and there. The judge also directed the police to conduct sensitization sessions. After all, it's something that he voluntarily underwent himself. And look where that led to. This is your host, Dhamini, signing off. You can reach me on Twitter at Dhamini or on HD Smartcast on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. To listen to more podcasts, log on to www.hdsmartcast.com. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.